Hello, and welcome back to our Musar study for Sar Shalom women. Uh, I hope that you bear with me a little today as uh, I don't have Couture here with me to help with the uh, the iPad and all of that, so I'm trying to do it all of myself. I'm also trying to get used to talking to an empty room, and that's a little difficult, so um, just bear with me, and we'll see how this goes. Okay. Um, Again, welcome to uh, Sar Shalom study of Musar. If you don't know what Musar is, I highly encourage you, or if you didn't do our first class this last spring, I highly encourage you to go back and read the book that was our foundational book. It's called Everyday Holiness by Alan Morinus. And this book will explain what Musar is. Um how to put it into practice in your life. And you may have heard us talking about the 13 meat that we are going to work on for this next year. And it will explain to you how to set that up for yourself. But very briefly, I just want to, for those that are new, um, you will select 13 meat to work on for the next year. The first week, which I guess starts today, you will choose your first meat to work on. During the week, you will first have a reminder phrase that you say each morning to yourself to remind you to help you focus on that midot. You will uh, sometime during the week study some Musar text. It can be about your midot or may not be. Then you um, journal. Journaling is the big thing, highly encouraged by all Musar masters. And you're encouraged, even if it's just a sentence or two, or if you like to journal, journal a lot about your struggles, your uh, successes, about working on that midot. Then you will assign yourself a task to help you practice that midot sometime during the week. You will continue that for a week, and then the next week you start on the next midot. And you go for 13 weeks. At the end of 13 weeks, you start back on number one and you do it again. So after a year, you will have worked on each midot for four four times. And that, that helps you get pretty good at that midot. But it's like anything else. It's like sometimes we talk about going to the gym. Uh, how much you get out of it is how much you put into it. It does require discipline and commitment. And so I encourage you to do that. But it's worth it because um, it will help you to polish your soul and to elevate uh, your ability to, uh, to keep the, the keep the mitzvot. I also encourage you to share. Some of us have already started sharing our me dope on uh, on this Facebook group, and I encourage the rest of you to do that as you develop your list. Also, throughout the week, uh, just. Uh, Keep posting, sharing your successes and your struggles, what you're working on um, throughout the week, and we can make this a very interactive group. I'm already kind of had a challenge on mine. My me dope, my very first one for this week is called equanimity, which is kind of staying balanced no matter how good things get or how bad things get. It's kind of like a level, and I have a tiny little level that I carry in my purse to remind me, and... Uh, I'm already having a test because um, some of you may have heard my bank account was hacked and I'm really struggling with having equanimity during this difficult situation and getting all that mess taken care of. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really work on that. Okay, uh, we are in the early days 
of Counting the Omer. And I hope you're caught up with what day it is. And uh, hopefully you're having a great Passover week, had a great Seder. Um, As we're going through the days of Counting the Omer during our study, we're also going to be looking at a uh, resource that I posted a link to on the Facebook group. It's a spiritual guide to the counting of the Omer, 49 Steps to Personal Refinement by Simon Jacobson. This week, he focuses on love. Love is the most powerful component in life. We all need and want love. Hashem wants love, so much so that he commands us to love him with all of our heart. As we think about love, several midot may come to mind. We may think about uh, compassion, chesed, patience. As we have learned through Musar's study, all midot, though, need to be balanced. That's our big word, is always in balance. Healthy love requires discipline. Love must be tempered and directed properly. Are you one of those that sometimes smother people with your love? Or on the other hand, maybe your compassion and chesed needs to be balanced with boundaries and self-love. Real love does not expect anything in return even being able to give to those that may have hurt us in the past. Love also is steady and has an endurance that does not shift with the wind. Okay, keep counting. Uh, uh, There's a lot of apps that you can use to help you be reminded to count. So I encourage you to keep up with your counting and to check out that resource. Okay, well, let's move on to our main text and I'm pretty excited about this text and I know some of you have already gotten your books in and I've been reading this for a few weeks now and really excited about it. Uh, Your book may look a little different. Mine looks like this and the title is Sha'ore Teshuva in English, The Gates of Teshuva. Rabbi Yonah is the author and he actually wrote this in the 1200s in Spain. So this is a very old text and has long been regarded by many of the Musar teachers as one of the classics and a very important work. As of course the title indicates, the focus on this whole text is Teshuvah, repentance. But maybe we have to stop and ask ourselves in a study of Musar, why are we studying a book on Teshuvah? Uh, Job 36.10, Elihu says, Hashem opens their ears to instruction. And that's the Hebrew word for Musar. And commands that they turn. That's the Hebrew word for Teshuvah. From their iniquity. So Musar is about self-reflection, accounting, and taking steps to improve. So is Teshuvah. It's about self-reflection taking accounting, and and taking steps to self-improve. So they're very much go hand in hand. Jeremiah 5, 3 says, O Lord, are are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Again, there's that word musar. They have made their faces harder than rock, and they have refused to return to Shuvah. 
working on forgiveness can be discouraging. I know I've had a lot of people just as they work on Musar tell me how they work on a Midot and it seems like maybe they're not improving as much as they want and it can be the same way with Teshuva. Sometimes it can be discouraging but we need to look at Teshuva as a gift from Hashem because without that gift we would we would have good reason to be discouraged. How could we hope to escape our inevitable failures otherwise? In urging us to to Teshuvah, Rabbi Yona confronts us directly with our obligation and lays bare our shortcomings. And for serious students, this can be a challenging experience. But Rabbi Yona doesn't intend to discourage us. On the contrary, every failing that we have is within our reach to repair. Basic Teshuvah has three main basic steps. Regretting the sin, forsaking the sin, and confessing the sin. But Rabbi Yonah is going to take us farther, and he's going to give us 20 principles of teshuva that we're going to study over the next few weeks. But every step along the way will bring some level of atonement. One who has sinned has not only made himself liable to punishment, but the more difficult thing is that he has distanced himself through his sin from Hashem and diminished his own spiritual standing. But through Teshuva, we can regain that uh, close relationship that we had with him. Yonah begins by establishing that the opportunity of Teshuva is a gift, and he and in fact Hashem encourages and wants us to do Teshuva. But it should not be thought that because it's a gift that we actually have a choice whether to accept that gift or not. To heal him, Psalms 25, 8 says, Hashem is good and upright and therefore he guides the sinners on the way. Hashem makes teshuva available even to the worst of sinners. He, he accepts our teshuva even if that he had to bring that teshuva about through some kind of suffering. So even if he had to make a suffer to get to the point of teshuva, he's still willing to accept that. In Devarim 4.30, it states that when all these things, all the suffering, have befallen you, you will return unto Hashem. We discussed earlier in our Musar class that there are two ways to relate to Hashem. I think we studied this in our last class on fear. There's fear of punishment and fear and the uh, awe, the fear of Hashem because we're in such awe of Him. And while punishment can be, or fear of punishment can be a motivator, awe of Hashem is a greater motivator. Hashem even helps those who repent, raising them to elevated spiritual levels, higher levels, even when we are not able to do that on our own. Once a person invests his very best effort into doing teshuva, Hashem provides assistance that will raise him beyond his own natural means. And that's a great thing. However, when a sinner delays teshuva, it becomes much worse for him until his only haven is teshuva. There's a parable in our book on page 8. And it talks about uh, a group of prisoners that got put into prison, three of them. Two of them began to dig out 
and eventually escaped. When the warden came in and discovered that two of the uh, prisoners had escaped and one was still there, what do you think he said to the one that was left? Did he say, good job, you didn't escape? No, he said, rather, you were the wicked one because you had an open door before you and you did not take it. Um, uh, this is the same way with us with Teshuva. We are like prisoners in our sin and we've been given escape route out of that sin through Teshuva and we would be the wicked one if we did not accept that open door of Teshuva. It is, on the other hand, a learned person, a righteous person, is quick to take advantage of that opportunity. In fact, it is said that if you see a, to a Torah scholar that sins in the evening, the next day you should not think badly about him because he's probably already realized it and done teshuva. So let's consider the damages that is caused by delaying our teshuva. Before a sinner has repented, the opportunity may come again and, and he will repeat the sin. And rather than subduing his Yetzar Hara the second time around, he succumbs to it again. And each time that we do it, it gets easier and easier. But those that regret their sin with trembling and quickly repent are less likely to repeat it. The, but those that commit the sin again, it is much worse than the first. Perhaps the first time the Yetzar Hara caught us off guard and we weren't prepared. But we should have been prepared the next time it happened and we have not been. So now the sin is becoming almost permissible to us. Our sages of blessed memory said in Kedushim 40a about a person who commits a sin and then repeats it, that from that point on he is accustomed to doing it. And if he has the opportunity to do that sin again, but he doesn't get the opportunity, it's as if he had because he had the intent to do it. And it's counted to him as if he had and he could be punished for the intention itself. So quickly doing teshuva is critical. Now there is no man on earth, we all know, that is so righteous that he never sins. He may slip once a day. We all know that we slip every day. But probably during that same period of time, we have overcome our Yetzar Hara a hundred times. So don't get discouraged that you slip up, but be encouraged that of all the times that you overcame. Um, so therefore our sin, an occasional sin, does not remove us from the category of the righteous. But on, uh, on the other hand, if a person keeps Torah in some areas but freely disobeys in one area or two areas, he is considered a transgressor. Let's say a servant says to his master, every instruction that you give me, I will do except for this one thing. He has already, with this one exclusion, broken his master's yoke from upon him and indicated that he will basically do as he pleases. If a person repeats only one sin, but he does it repeatedly, if even if he avoids all other sin, uh, it's as, it's considered as if he had committed all, many sins because he's done it many times. Rabbi Yona recommends one thing that can help us from repeating sin is to write in a journal. Now we all know that sounds familiar, and he recommends writing in a journal a list of those 
transgressions we may have done. And then reading that at once a day just to remind us, oh yeah, I fell into that sin last time and I don't want to do that again. And I think since you're already going to be keeping a Musar journal, working on your Mido, it wouldn't take much more time just to add a sentence or two about something you stumbled on that day and that you want to be reminded of. Uh, Rabbi Yona teaches us that there are many levels of Teshuva, and each level brings us closer to Hashem. According to, the level, according to the levels he has attained, each successive level brings us closer. There is some forgiveness for every level of Teshuvah. Although the soul will not be completely purified to the extent that it's if, as if the sin never existed until our heart is completely purified. Psalm 32.2 says it this way, Praiseworthy is the man to whom Hashem does not ascribe sin, for in his spirit there is no deceit. Rabbi Yona goes on to illustrate it this way. If you think about, we're all ladies and we all do our laundry, and if you have kids, you probably have laundry that's not so very soiled, and laundry that your kids bring in that's very soiled. Uh, So, a mild laundering might help with just a, a a small that just with you know laundry that just needs to be generally cleaned. However, if there's a stain, it will take a lot more laundering before that stain will eventually be removed. It may be progressively whitened, and eventually, finally, the stain will be removed. Second Chronicles eleven, David. The king says, cleanse me thoroughly of my sin and purify me of my transgressions. A footnote in our book on page 21, uh, it goes on to, to elaborate a little bit on that concept. And it says that when a person succumbs to desire and sin, he produces within himself an even greater desire for that prohibited thing. Maybe kind of like chocolate. We know we shouldn't have chocolate, we're on a diet or whatever. All of a sudden, the only thing we want is the thing that is prohibited. The sin itself is like a grime that sits on our soul. And uh, it it just kind of makes our soul dirty. And Musar is certainly all about, we've talked many times about, uh, Musar is all about making our soul shine. And so when we sin, we put a grime on that soul. The stronger the desire is, the stronger the stain is. It becomes finally embedded in our character. The basic course of teshuva that we mentioned a while ago, regretting the sin, forsaking the sin, and confessing the sin, is like the initial washing. Once a person has done this, he is no longer considered an active sinner, so he has removed the grime from um, from the surface. But in order to be rid of this embedded sin in our character, it's going to take a little bit more vigorous cleansing. And this requires, among other things, deep remorse and the other levels of emotional teshuva that Rabbi Yonah is going to go on to describe in his principles. Only by involving the heart can a person truly purify his heart and his inner tendencies. So it's going to take more than just a surface teshuva. Uh, It's going to take some work to really get to that level.
He says that the most beneficial teshuva is when a person is still in his youth, he's full of energy, desire, and he overpowers his yetzer hara easily. But at every level of teshuva is effective, even to the point of death itself. So never give up on teshuva. So let's start to look at some of these principles that Rabbi Yonah is going to teach us. The first one is recognizing that one did wrong. It's very hard to repent of something that you don't know that you did. We also need to understand that we will suffer consequences of our actions. We should understand in our heart how terrible and bitter it is that we have abandoned Hashem and his mitzvah and sinned. And we should develop great regret for our sinful deeds. And we should say to ourselves, what have I done? How is it that the fear of Adonai was not before my eyes? Aside from subjecting our bodies to affliction, we did far worse. We were cruel to our soul. So not only have we damaged our body, perhaps in some way, but we have more so damaged our soul. We were cruel to that precious soul that we possess. Additionally, how could I have been so foolish as to trade away momentary physical pleasures in this fleeting world for the eternal pleasures of a world that endures forever and ever? Rabbi goes on to say that when we behave in such a manner, he compares us to animals. Um, by following the direction of our Yetzirah, like a like a mule or a horse. The Creator placed within us a soul that is wise-hearted, a fine intellect to recognize Him and to fear Him. But we have acted in opposition to that to that manner, and we have allowed our body to control our soul. But even more so, we have not even acted in the manner of an animal, but we have sunk even lower, because even an ox knows its owner and a donkey where he gets his food. But I did not know my master, nor did I contemplate his existence. And I set my soul free of its master, allowing it to disregard his commandments. Okay, let's look at the second principle that Rabbi Yonah gives us. Once a person regrets wrongdoing, he can and must resolve not to repeat that sin. This step requires that the sinner forsake his evil ways and resolve with his entire heart that he will never again return to that path of sinfulness. Yeshayah says in 55.7, Let the wicked one forsake his way and the immoral man his thoughts. So turning completely away from whatever thing that we did. But this order of regretting the sin and then forsaking the sin may not necessarily happen in that order. There are times when it can be reversed. If someone sins, it's just a matter of chance. They're going along pretty good, but they have a failing. We all do. For this person, this first step is regret. We're going along. We think we're doing good and we fail and we we almost always regret it immediately. And then we begin to forsake that behavior. But imagine a habitual sinner, a truly wicked person who constantly stands on a way that is no good. For this person, a different approach may be needed. The first step for this person is that he needs to turn away from those ways 
and resolve to be steadfast and accept upon him the commandments and then accept on himself not to repeat it anymore. Only then, after doing this, can he really regret the deeds and confess them. Rabbi Yona compares this to the uh, case of someone who is grasping a dead sheretz. This refers to one of the eight creeping creatures listed in Vaikra, Leviticus eleven twenty nine and 30. And so when he grasps this creeping creature, he becomes Tameh. And I love when Rabbi helped us out with that. Tameh no way to hoard do more. So Tameh is not good. This person then wants to immerse himself in a mikvah and become Tahor. However, he's still grasping on to the, to the unclean item. First, he must let go of the charrettes. Then he can immerse himself. But as long as the charrettes remains in his hand, uh, the sinfulness is still upon him. What good is immersion at that point? Until he forsakes his evil ways, his regret and confession have really no value. Thus, he must take the step of forsaking the sin before experiencing regret. Okay, let's sum up what we've learned today. Uh, We've learned the basic steps in Teshuvah are regretting the sin, forsaking the sin, and then confessing the sin. We also learned that every level of Teshuvah brings some atonement. But for truly repairing the distance that we have created from Hashem, it takes both an emotional response as well as an an intellectual one. We've got to work on our heart. We also learned Rabbi Yonah will teach us 20 principles to go deeper with our teshuvah. While all sin is damaging, we also learned it is very much more so for the one who repeatedly sins before making teshuvah. Each time he sins, he get, it gets easier and more permissible and will be harder to overcome that yetzer hara. The first principle we studied was recognizing the wrong and then regretting that it happened. We should also recognize the damage that it caused our relationship to Hashem, and that we are acting as if we are animals. Even worse, that we have cast off the yoke of our master. By sinning any, even occasionally, we have allowed our body to control our soul. The second principle we learned is forsaking the sin. He will resolve to make sure the sin never occurs again. We also learned that the first two steps may not always necessarily be in that order. For the occasional sinner, this is the proper order. But for the repeated sinner, the truly wicked person, it's necessary to forsake sin and then regret will come. He must let go of that charrettes, that evil, that sin, whatever it is he's grasping on. It's impossible to keep doing the thing and then try to do teshuva. You have to let go of the sin. Okay, well, what a great and deep start to our book and our study. We can see many areas where overcoming our Yetzar Hurrah through strengthening our Mido can help us avoid those habitual sins. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the book, if you've started studying it, on what we've learned, and make this Facebook page very interactive. As we finish up today, uh, I encourage you to remain steadfast in your Musar journaling. Maybe even consider adding a, a line or two to the end of your journal each day on any transgression you may have fallen into that day. Just as a reminder, oh, I don't want to do that again. Um, 
And then also, um, you're, de- you're uh, counting the Omer, and you can use that resource that I posted in the 49 Ways to Refining Our Character. And we talked about that there are many apps. You, you can share it with each other, what apps that you uh, particularly like. Um, so maybe maybe you're working on the me dote of order this week. I saw that on several people's list. I know that's one of our favorites. Um, and, you know, just counting the Omer can help you put a little order in your life. So let's briefly review the me dote of order before we finish today. Our book, uh, Everyday Holiness, taught us that external disorder can be taken to be a reflection of inner disarray. It is hard to have a an organized mind with a cluttered environment. Spiritual living requires order just as much as our material life. Disorder is often the child of a rebellious ego that says, I want. It's what I want that's important. But order helps create an inner sense that the things that matter have been properly arranged and tended to and the d- details of life are under control. And this will lead us to calmness, at which point the channels of divine will can be open and unencumbered, and serving Hashem will be more possible than ever. Hashem is a God of order, and it's just not possible to serve Him in chaos. So if you're working on order this week, there's your little review. Okay, well, thank you for joining us this week. Please share your thoughts with each other on Facebook. Uh, share your thoughts about the text if you've started reading it and about your individual meat dough that you're working on. And enjoy the rest of this week and eating your matzah. <laughs>